Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, the podcast for writers who strive to be bold and readers who crave something new. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I want to thank you for being here, and I want us to stay in touch. So subscribe to this podcast, then go to writingtherongway.com and enter your best email to receive the Martian Embassy Missive, my bi-weekly newsletter where I let you know what's happening on Mars, where we're always making big plans. Join the Martians so you don't get left out of the invasion at writingtherongway.com. And as a special bonus, I'll send you a free book. Speaking of books, my new book is called The National Gallery, and it contains sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies lamenting the death of my iPhone, and other strange missives from yours truly, the Poet Laureate of Hell. Visit thenationalgallery.ca to order your signed copy. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm talking to Salima Nawaz, the author of Songs for the End of the World, and uh, a number of other books, including Bone and Bread, which was a finalist for Canada Reads and a short story collection, uh, Mother Superior and Other Stories. And Slima, we've known each other for quite some time now, but uh, before we get into that, uh, there's no sense bearing the lead. I might as well ask you about the pandemic uh, that we're in when you're releasing a pandemic novel. Uh, so can you talk just a little bit about what kind of came, what has transpired, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it, and kind of how, you know, you're here with this book, uh, sort of in this uncertain scenario uh, that you, in some respects, you know, predicted inside this book uh, and in other ways. Right. You know, I think many people are making much of the similarities between what's happening now and what's happening in the book. And while that's interesting, uh, I think it would be nice to kind of get a bit of a sense of what are the differences. Um, you know, what's right. your book compared to uh you know, the outside world? Yeah, good, good question. I like, I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was sort of preoccupied with, um, you know, how things were lining up in reality as compared to the book. Um, probably like too, too preoccupied in a sense, because I was never, I was never trying to predict anything. Like it, it's just a novel, you know? Um, but I was sort of like looking at things happening and, and evaluating them along this, this framework of like, oh my gosh, did I get it? Did I get it right? Or did I get it wrong? You know, forgetting that, of course, that's the wrong framework because, you know, I wasn't trying to predict anything. Um, and then sort of, you know, a bunch of weeks in, I felt like finally I was sort of letting go of looking at reality through the lens of the book. You know, I was finally just dealing with this, this crazy reality we're living in. And I wasn't sort of seeing everything through the lens of, of the novel. Can, can you um, outline briefly just what the lens of the novel is, you know, for people who maybe haven't read the book yet or don't have yeah. a full sense of it. Can you just talk a bit about what's the situation in this book? Um, and that, you know, versus sort of the situation outside of the right. book. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so the, so songs for the end of the world, it's, the interconnected stories of a handful of people who are living through um, the beginning of a pandemic. Um, and sort of, you know, one of the coincidences is that in my novel, it is a novel coronavirus called Aramis, which is, um, you know, sweeping across the globe. Um, it has, I guess, a similar, you know, incubation period or whatever. Um, so those are some of the, the things that, um, you know, as, as we were getting ready to publish it, that the publisher was, you know, rightfully concerned about, um, in terms of what was happening with, with COVID-19. It must have felt surreal to sort of see things developing in 2020 because you didn't write the book in in 2020 uh, at, at all really is my understanding i mean because i remember you um I, I remember you talking about this book a number of years ago and at that point um i mean it must have been 2013 2014 when you were starting on it correct i think it was 2013 yeah. you actually started writing it and you wrote basically in six years right 2013 to 2019 is when you're writing and editing primarily um if yeah. i recall correctly you were more or less done your editing in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And, but then, yeah, you know, I, starting to see maybe the glimmer of this thing approach. 
Yeah, I think it was just a few weeks after the copy edits were finalized that we were sort of hearing about it. Um, I think it was like, I think I finished the copy edits in November. And so then, you know, the text was set. Um, and then it was sort of like in December, I might have this wrong, but I feel like it was in December we were sort of hearing about, um, this virus going around. Um, so, so yeah, nothing, nothing in the text actually, you know, changed as a result of, of, um, these world events. Um, it's it's just, it's so interesting because, um, and I think maybe people make too much of how interesting it is <laughs> in a certain sense. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, yeah. Is, it is just sort of interesting how, you know, it, it, this thing is unfolding in the novel in 2020. You're sort of mm-hmm. you know, planning. I mean, it makes sense. You're thinking, well, the book's going to be out in 2020. It's set in the present day, more or less. Uh, so it makes sense for you to kind of be doing that move. But then, you know, when things start lining up like that, how did it feel to kind of start to see these things lining up in this way um, in terms of like, what was sort of your, I mean, because at the same time, this is all happening to you in this professional arena. I mean, you're also just mm-hmm. like trying to live life in Montreal, which, you know, in Canada is one of the kind of worst hits um, that this virus has taken. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of the epicenter here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it just must have been a very strange and surreal experience. How have you found yourself? How have you been coping with it? I mean, everybody's been coping with this differently and having, you know, you know, has had to cope with it. But I feel like yeah. in some ways you've had this other level of having to cope with it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it is another level. I think at the maybe at the very beginning it was. But 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 now I really feel like, you know, it's, it's a cliche at this point, but we are all in this together. And I don't know if you're experiencing this, but I feel like it really comes in waves, you know, in terms of like, okay, you're kind of coping pretty well and then you're not coping so well. And then maybe you're coping a bit better. Um, but at the very beginning it was sort of, it, it just, it felt very lonely because I'd been working on this book and, you know, these, these events were happening and, and, you know, my editor was like, you know, everyone at the publisher was tracking what was happening quite closely. And, um, you know, I just felt very, I guess, alone with the fact that I had this, I had this book that I had so much to say about what was happening. Um, but the book wasn't, wasn't out yet, of course. Um, and most people I know didn't know what I'd been working on, like to the, to that degree of detail, you know, like, yeah, because I've been writing it, it for so long for a while there too. Well, yeah. I mean, like I, guess I knew I was a fair like, amount about it, but I didn't know a lot yeah. of the detail about it. And I was talking to you about it fairly regularly still. Um, yeah. and that's just normal. That's a normal thing when you're working on stuff often for people, you know, you just don't want to talk about a bunch of things because it's changing all the time. Yeah. I mean, I would say you're probably one of, you know, three people, who, who know more, you like who knew more about it than anybody, but, but it's still like when you have this big unwieldy novel, you, when you're talking about it or you're in my case, you know, complaining about <laughs> trying to finish it or edit it, then you're not really getting into the nitty gritty of like what it's about. You know, it's just, there's too much, there's too much to sort of relate to anybody. And, you know, I was talking about it as a plague novel for a long time. Um, but well, you were talking about it as a science fiction novel for a long time. Uh, and in some respects, it is a science fiction novel still, uh, like ter- in a certain technical sense. Um, yeah, but, uh, sure. But in, in many respects, I, so many of the quote-unquote science fictional elements have just tipped over into the r- real world in a way that I think um, people have maybe... I think people find surprising and interesting. I find it what, what to me is the most surreal aspect of it all, uh, just personally speaking, is you've got a character yeah. in this novel, Owen who is yeah. a, a writer who's written a pandemic novel that then, yeah. you know, has become very, is now, and now is in the situation of being, you know, in this pandemic, you know, talking about this novel. Uh, it's, it's, it almost, it seems almost, um, to me, that's weirdly the most prescient aspect of it. It's <laughs> that <laughs> so you're now in this yeah. situation that Owen sort of was in, in some respects, like that yeah. must be a, an odd, uh, can you just talk about that character in particular and like how you kind of uh, 
put that why and how you put that character in. And so to some of the things that went into developing that particular a writer character, because I find it interesting personally uh, when writers write about writers and yeah. just some of the challenges that that has uh, of trying to, you know, create a character who is not just kind of ring, you know, true uh, in a, as a writer for, say, writers reading it, but also yeah. is interesting for um, a reader who maybe isn't a writer. Like, there's always like a challenge with that kind of character of having yeah, it an inter- making that process interesting and not talking about it too much, you know, in the way that maybe you might just naturally want to because as a writer you're interested in it but then mm-hmm. like not making it ring false and then you got the whole other weird layer of like uh this person in public talking about this pandemic having written this you know pandemic novel and now you know here you are <laughs> strangely in a yeah. similar position yeah i mean that definitely is um i think the we- the weirdest part or the weirdest you know the most uncanny coincidence I suppose you could say from the, from the novel. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say about him. Um, I, uh, well, in what ways, I mean, he, he's not necessarily a character that you may want to relate to, but here yeah. you are in a position <laughs> where I think you must relate to him in, in a number of respects. And so I'm curious to know, yeah. like your kind of perspective on, uh, you know, your relationship with that particular character. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that was kind of interesting in terms of like the intersection of, of fiction and reality was that, you know, at the beginning of this, I was conscious of kind of Owen's behaviors in the, in the novel, which are very, um, very self-protective and very, I don't want to say paranoid because he was probably, you know, acting prudently from a self-preservation standpoint, but, you know, he sort of, um, you know, he buys a lot of supplies. He, he doesn't leave his apartment at all. You know, he looks into how to get away from people in general. Um, and so I think at the, at the beginning I was sort of like, like trying not to like not buy too many packages of pasta because I didn't want to be too much like him. Like I didn't want to be somehow, um, following in his, in the footsteps of what he does in in the novel. Um, just because as you said, he is sort of a problematic character in some ways. Um, although I do identify with him, you know, to a certain degree, you know, as a writer and, and in the way that, you know, a writer relates to all their characters on some level. I found myself in, you know, uh, thing when the toilet paper, uh, fanaticism was taking hold, Mm-hmm. scoffing at it, you know, like, oh, you know, what a stupid thing to be doing. As, and then, you know, at, at a certain point, I'm looking at the toilet paper dwindling. <laughs> and, like, I'm still scoffing at it, but it was yeah. it was sort of like one of those weird things where I just f- started to feel like, m- even though I was pointedly trying not to react emotionally in a way, I, f- I in a sense, I think I was just resisting in an emotional fashion, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I, and, and, and it's, um, it's a curious, uh, I mean, it's always as a novelist or, or writing fiction, getting into a character's heads, you're, you're trying to kind of think of how they would react to scenarios. And so I feel like, uh, in some respects, you know, to me, you, you in some ways seem like perhaps the most prepared person in the world <laughs> to deal with <laughs> the situation of a pandemic you know, having in a sense rehearsed it for six years in your mind uh, yeah. although I'm sure you don't feel like that you know on a day-to-day basis but has it helped you in, in any way like having written this book to get a perspective on the scenario uh, you know just having done the research you know having looked into the science having kind of rehearsed emotionally like how pe- you know people would or should or could react to these sorts of yeah. scenarios or or you know, is there a way in which was helpful uh, now? Um, I, you know, I'm not, sh- I'm or does not it just sure. Make you more paranoid because you know, the yeah, I mean, I you- think, <laughs> I think there's probably more like, so at the beginning I was like, I think quite frustrated with myself for not, um, feeling more prepared, you know, like I, I, 
I remember getting together with some friends at the end of January, um, around, um, Lunar New Year. And we were, you know, we were talking about the pandemic. We were talking about, um, my novel. These are two close writer friends and, you know, and they were saying, you know, Slima, what should we do? <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, if we were smart, we would all stuck up on N95 masks and da, da. But, you know, at that point people were already, you know, hoarding them. Um, and I felt, and then, you know, in March, I was just feeling so frustrated with myself for not having like, like you just don't know when the right time is to do something. Like it's really hard to evaluate, you know, risk and like hypotheticals, you know, like I, I just didn't know when the right day was to pull my daughter out of daycare. Um, and just sort of agonizing over it. And, and I mean, I'm still agonizing over these questions in terms of like, you know, what to do in the fall or whatever. But, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the risk and you have to, you know, make your own decision about your comfort level with certain risks. And I don't know, I I don't, I'm not sure that that much more knowledge makes those answers clearer in the, in the current situation. Um, I know definitely like people in my extended family think that I'm, (laughs) I'm more paranoid like paranoid, like I'm overly concerned about, you know, um, risks of infection, uh, or distancing based on like my research. Um, I don't know. I think maybe like it it makes me more able to sort of sift through, you know, the news stories, um, to a certain degree. You know, when they were saying like, when they were saying, don't wear a mask, I was like, well, clearly (laughs) it would be prudent to just wear a mask, you know, if if we're not sure, even if there's no like concrete proof yet of, you know, aerosolized transmission, like let's just be safe and wear a mask. Now, putting some of the pandemic to the side for a second, one thing that was really interesting to me about the development of this book, just having, as you say, like having talked to you and having a bit of an inside, you know, sense of some of your process, Mm -hmm. uh, I was really interested how... I'm really interested to hear you talk about the structure that you arrived at for this book uh, in terms of how you mm-hmm. kind of laid the narrative out with these different time periods. Because I I know that it, ins- you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but my memory is that this was at one point a collection of short stories. That's correct. That yeah. is how it began. And for quite some time you were talking about it as a short story collection that you were putting together that would have this, you know, um, kind of pandemic SF sort of element. Uh, I can't remember. I thought you had a plan at one point to set it in a farther future. I may be wrong about that, but I was just wondering if you could just talk about the kind of early version of it uh, in this mm-hmm. more short story uh, collection form and sort of how it transited into the current um, uh, novel with its particular structure and just some of the ways that yeah. that happened and some of the kind of decisions you made along that way. Yeah. So, I mean, it began with me looking at the few short stories I had that um, I had never placed anywhere or had never been published, and then kind of imagining um, more stories I could write that would connect those short stories um, to have like an interconnected um, collection. Um, And that was when I came up with the idea of um, this sort of plague um, that was going to be set in the future, um, the, not the distant future, but at the time it, it was distant, you know, like seven years hence. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but of course just kept creeping, creeping closer through the, the writing and editing process. Um, yeah. So I think at that point I had like seven stories and then I sort of came up with the idea of seven more and that was what I proposed um, like as part of a grant proposal, I think in 2012. Um, and yeah. And so then I just started trying to write those stories that would, um, connect those other stories. So some of those were like additional stories that, that use some of the characters from, from the completed stories. Um, and some were, were, were sort of new, new stories, uh, new characters, I mean. Um, yeah, and then I don't, I'm not sure. At a certain point, 
it just seemed like it wanted to be a novel, I think was kind of the feeling. Um, like once the thing was done. So you had drafted the whole thing as a sort of more disparate, you know, like connected stories, but a bit more isolated or disconnected. Exactly. Yeah. And and then you looked at it and at that point uh, started to feel that maybe it was just needed more cohesion in terms of an overarching narrative. Is is that sort of more or less the trajectory? Yeah. Yeah. What made you think that? Like what made you feel like it needed that additional cohesion? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I feel like it might've been, I had, you know, two readers at that point and it was some, I I believe I could be wrong. I believe it was something that they both said to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and even at that point, I would say I didn't really truly understand (laughs) the degree of revision like that would entail. Um, because I didn't sort of realize at that point, like, oh, okay, like you have however many characters. Like at that point, I probably had even more characters than than are in the final novel. Um, and, you know, all of those, let's say a dozen characters that all have their own individual little arcs or like moments that happen in one chapter, like now, or maybe they don't have an arc. They just appear in one chapter. You know, it's a moment in time in their life. Now they they all need to have sort of character arcs across, you know, the whole novel um, that weren't there before, um, which is which is a huge uh, undertaking, it, <laughs> especially when you didn't when you didn't plan it that way in the in the first place. I remember you finding the editing process to be I think this is a common experience where you're mm-hmm. you know, you, let's say you do a draft. Uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, my imagination is you're like you've got this draft. People are telling yeah. you, well, it'd be nice, you know, you're so close to having a novel in some ways, you know, it's mm-hmm. the same characters popping in and out, you got the same stuff happening in the background, they're all kind of mm-hmm. connected anyway, why don't you just make it a novel? And in your head, I'm sure you're like, oh yeah, why not just make it a novel? But then yeah. when you start doing it, of course, you realize, well, short stories, collections are not novels, there's a whole mm-hmm. other architecture, uh, yeah. as you say, you, there's just technical problems like you, you, that you already pointed out of how you got to treat, you know, character arcs differently and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And yet now you've in your head it, in your head you've committed now to it, it being a novel and you can see mm-hmm. I'm sure as you're going through it um, I don't know if you have this experience but what I find when I'm getting um, in editing often what I'll find is like I'm making changes that are making the thing substantially better and at the same time I'm dismayed that it's making them better <laughs> because it means I have to keep making further changes. <laughs> I start to that I didn't anticipate, but now I'm starting to see, like I'm starting to see almost like, oh, I thought it was, you know, seventy percent done, but really it's thirty percent done. Right. You know, uh, and then you now you feel like you're in kind of a, a a strange sort of quicksand where you are improving everything and everything is getting better. It's just it is you you're getting deeper and deeper into not being able to go back. Right. I can, I mean, I can imagine that scenario. I don't think that was really. You were more optimistic. My, (laughs) my experience. No, I think I was more, um, more blinkered, like more in the Mm -hmm. dark. Like I think if I, if I had known like how long the the road would be, I probably would have gotten discouraged. Like, I think I was just kind of looking one step ahead, like the whole time. And it, it probably would have been useful for me to, to have, um, a bigger vision of it, of the editing process, like early on. Um, but I just, I just didn't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's funny you say that because, you know, I, I, one thing I flagged when I was reading uh, in, in an earlier part of the book is just, you know, Owen saying, you know, I'm just, I flagged it here to actually, you know, maybe read it to you and ask you about it. It's, you know, but it's mm-hmm. kind of, you just brought it up in a ways, in some ways, You've got this quote. I can't tell you the page number because I'm not looking at a print book. But I've got this quote mm-hmm. in the early uh, in the first Owen section. Stopping to think about things is part of the problem. He was sure right. it was why he couldn't write faster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, there was something counter a little bit down. It go it, it jumps to there was something counterintuitive about needing to be less thoughtful in order to be a successful writer. <laughs> but it's true. There it is part of that process. Is you know you have to kind of walk a weird line between 
being very thoughtful, you know, uh, in, in, in your case, you know, thinking through what are the actual scientific possibilities of what may or could happen in this kind of a scenario, and additionally, how might people act or react in those scenarios, which gets into psychology, uh, which gets into, you know, just, you know, kind of your thinking about your own points of view on human nature or your own experience. Um, mm-hmm. But also is, you know, so there's that need to be thoughtful in numerous respects, um, but also, plus just, you know, having to have something to say, right, from a philosophical or point of view in order to kind of, you know, want to write the story. But then yeah. there's also like the problem of, you know, as Owen kind of points out there, you know, you kind of have to stop thinking so much in order to get anything done in a day. Yeah. And, well, and I finish. Think, yeah. I think that was done. <laughs> what he says there was probably my mindset at the time, which I think sometimes is, you know, useful. You do need to, you know, you can't think about, you know, the audience or the final product. You just have to kind of put your head down and, and write sometimes. However, I think that some, some forethought is, uh, useful and probably pays for itself. I've been listening to this podcast, to some of your, your previous episodes about editing, and I've been taking them to heart <laughs> and trying to, trying to spend more time pre-planning on uh, future projects. Well, I have a very, yeah, I have a very stringent editorial approach at this point, uh, but it's simply because I've had such a non-stringent one for so long and I feel like I've just made every possible mistake I I just did it very fast like I was doing so much stuff because I was a full-time mm. writer for a while in university because I had so many scholarships and mm-hmm. um, I was just you know I wrote like 10 books 12 books uh, not that I published those books but you know I, I feel like I, I made a lot of mistakes really fast and I I, I, I sat with a source story what the book that I've got coming out next um uh has a short story in it, which took me, I think, eight solid years of to write. Um, oh, wow. Which one? Is, which one? It's called Explosions. Okay. You is know, that, I was going to guess that, yeah. Yes. I guess, well, I guess maybe that's in You might have seen early drafts of it. Uh, but in any case, um, the point is uh, simply that I, I, in just trying to get that stupid thing to work, mm-hmm. I feel like I... You know, even just that one story, I made like a thousand. I like tracked what I was doing in like oh, almost yeah. a spreadsheet like way. <laughs> yeah. Just because I was like, I was just so frustrated by that point. It was like a feeling like I just don't know what I'm, if I'm making things better or worse. I'm just going to start yeah. tracking whether mm-hmm. an editing change makes stuff better or worse. And I kind of stumbled into an editing approach that I don't know if it would work for everybody, but it's like, it, 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 I just feel like, I feel like a lot of writers have this issue with editing. For, for good reasons, that they're not necessarily editors, right? Um, you know, they can be very good editors, like, but there is like this, uh, I've heard you talk about this in different ways before, but there is a sort of part of the process which, uh, you know, it, it helps to really examine, but in some ways you can examine it to death and, and kind of paralyze yourself by just mm-hmm. thinking too much, right? Uh, but I just want to jump back to the editing or not to edit, right. but um, uh, when you started, how did you settle on the idea that we ha- you had to proceed in this, uh, to end up with a draft that was not proceeding in a clear chronological fashion? Like yeah. when you made the yeah, decision to do the time jumping, uh, yeah. which you've got a whole little schematic of at the start of the book. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you kind of settle on that, and and what was some of your thinking around that structure? Yeah, well, that was it. Definitely came about probably I don't know, maybe half halfway through the editing process with with an editor. So you know, the the book had already been accepted. I was working with um, an amazing editor, Anita Chong at McClellan and Stewart, um, and the way that we had been working was. Um, a way that she had approach she had taken, I think, on a few previous books because she had worked on a, a couple other books that had a similar structure of kind of interconnected stories or different different threads. And that was how we had started editing it was 
by the discrete threads of like groups of characters. So for instance, we started with, um, the Emma chapters because originally the, originally it was chronological and the story, um, there's a story on the boat, which is right now it's about midway through the book. I think it's at the midway point, but previously it was the first story. Um, cause it happens around, you know, Y2K and it's like with Emma when she's a child with her sister on a boat. So originally that was the first story, uh, or chapter I should say. Um, and so we would sort of work strand by strand. Um, so we would do all of the, you know, Emma chapters and then all of, um, the Elliot chapters. Um, but I think like in retrospect, like, I think that, that, that approach makes sense. Um, but given, I don't know, just given certain, certain things with this manuscript, it was, it was actually harder for me to work that way because the, the original structure just created certain expectations. Like when it, when it began on the boat with the two sisters, there's this expectation you're going to hear about both sisters. And this was something, um, that a couple early readers had said, um, you know, they're interested in this other sister. And this is, I think maybe where I was just maybe not really listening to my own interests or instincts on this. Cause I was really not interested in the other sister ever, but I was like, okay, well let's see what happens. Like, let's see, like I'm interested to, to try any suggestion, you know, if it's going to make the book better. Um, so I, you know, I would write, you know, I'd go away and I would write a bunch of chapters for this other sister. Um, but then they just, you know, they weren't really working and maybe I just, cause I was just kind of writing, you know, I was like, no, I was like not thinking I was just sort of blindly writing, um, without really a good plan in place of, you know, how does it really relate to the themes of the novel, to the overall plot of the novel. Um, so there was a lot, like a lot of these, you know, editing process was really just a lot of writing and discarding, like versus just like editing the, the, you know, the text, which is in the book now. Um, and so at a certain point, I think it came out of this sense of like, you know, like my, my difficulty with these, these Emma chapters and like discarding these chapters about her sister and then just being like, you know, what if it doesn't start on the boat? Like, what if, you know, what if it starts with, you know, the, the inherent, the inherent drama of like the pandemic starting, you know, and, and having these be flashbacks. And that was a really big, you know, breakthrough. And in some sense, it's like, it's not rocket science because like many, many literary novels are structured this way. (laughs) Um, maybe even like most of them in a sense that use flashbacks, like you have a kind of um, present tense or like present scenario that's unfolding. And then you kind of have flashback chapter. Like that's very, very common. Um, so yeah. Anyway, at a certain point we arrived at that and it was great. And it was like a huge, um, I'm not sure if it arrived maybe from writing the first Elliot chapter, which I didn't imagine as a first chapter when I wrote it, I think, but then after writing it, it was like, Oh, actually this would be a really good first chapter. It's a good chapter in, as a you know first chapter, especially insofar as I think that's a, it's one of the best. I, I I was very impressed by how you introduced the situation of him learning of the pandemic, uh, because it's sort of the readers introduced. Uh, so just to kind of follow up on something you were talking about, where you know, in your earlier version, you had these two sisters on this boat and then, you know, people mm-hmm. were kind of thinking, well, you know, if you got two, then we're going to learn about both of them. Mm-hmm. I find that that is the kind of uh, algebra that is very hard to do in the editing process, but it's very important because I feel more and more as I like write and edit, especially, I feel like a lot of writing is a sort of information management where, you know, mm-hmm. as the writer, you have all this information, uh, about what is ha- about the story. You have more information than the reader has when they begin the story, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you're parceling yeah. it out in particular ways. What I find is a big problem that writers have 
uh, especially you know young younger writers or newer writers, let's say, um, is they just don't have the information management skills uh, that, and so they 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 have a tendency to dump information out, uh, mm. for example, or they just aren't necessarily aware of what information they're giving out. Um, people are going to pay attention to. So if you're you're giving out you know five pieces of information. Uh, there's this assumption sometimes that writers have, which is that, oh, the reader now knows five new things. They will pay attention to all five of those new things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the case, uh, right? Uh, you know, it depends. And there's the other problem of what information are you even aware that you're giving them? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, and I'm sure you've had this experience of going back into your draft, you know, you know you're, and then your stuff in there you don't remember putting in there. Like just plotting what I always track, what are characters carrying? Because mm-hmm. I'll find like they pick up, you know, somebody picks up something and then like later on they need something. Sometimes I've, I've forgotten that they already have it in their pocket. Right. You know, like it, you'll, you'll have like those sorts of weird things happening. So to me, that's an interesting example of like a scenario where, you know, a reader is sort of pick, paying attention to, uh, something that maybe you know you weren't initially paying attention to but it makes perfect sense right and and then uh so but when you start to restructure and you get the final form out uh now you've got a scenario where you have the information that there's this pandemic uh and the culture hasn't really grasped the information yet in the novel Uh, Mm -hmm. this character elliot hasn't uh been paying attention right how are we going to introduce both him and the reader to this wider issue um, it was a very, it's a very clever solution that you came up with. Uh, I found, you know, I don't know if you want to talk too much about the particulars of that. Uh, it is very early on. Um, so I don't know if it's a spoiler per se, but it, it, I thought it was a very elegant solution that has like a, a big emotional impact and, and is the kind of event that would really overturn a person's personal life. And, you know, and now all of a sudden he's in a quarantine. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it just is a very, um, I found it was a very interesting uh, way to kind of get, yeah, the premise of here's how people are going to be immediately impacted and have sort of their lives turned upside down in these particular emotional ways uh, while um, just getting the information to the reader that in 2020 there was this, you know, this thing happened. Um, Mm -hmm. Now when I jump back to 2009 or 2004, what have you, uh, you know, you're going to read it knowing that has already happened. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like thinking about it. I think it's typical that, you know, it wasn't initially written to be a first chapter. Like I think if I had been thinking about it as a first chapter, I might not have been able to, you know, do I, it would have become, you would have started too complex of a problem. It. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it wouldn't I, have I been an works. elegant, you know, whatever way of introducing it. It just, you know, but anyway, well, I'm glad I, it, I just, it works where I it is. I think it works really well, but I think it's, in a weird way, I think it's, it, it probably, I don't know if this is advice that anyone could use, but I feel like in a weird way, it probably solved a problem you would have maybe otherwise had, which is mm-hmm. feeling like, I think often people have this problem in the first few chapters and why people obsessively rewrite the first few chapters without continuing their books often um, mm-hmm. is, you know, they're, they have all this information and they're trying to figure out what does the reader need in these first few chapters. They always overestimate. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. I, I think as writers, we just tend, tend to think we want to get to certain things faster because we think the reader needs X, Y, and Z when really they just need X. Um, and sort of, you know, it sounds like the process as, as you know, much as it probably caused you some grief to go through this particular process. Uh, and, and it, it sounds like it's in some ways solved a number of problems in, a, in, in an elegant fashion. Yeah. I mean, it, it also, it created its own, you know, I mean, the other thing about the structure of a novel like this is that it is kind of, you know, endlessly modular, um, because there are so many characters, um, and different timelines. Um, you know, you're, you, you constantly have this ability to like add or take away, but every, you know, change has all of these, you know, cascading, Mm -hmm. um, uh, changes that, that have to, you know, consequences that, that come out of that. And, 
So, you know, one of the consequences of starting the book with Elliot was that, you know, there had, there is this sense that he's the protagonist in a way, um, which, you know, he, he was never originally the protagonist. And, and then I, and then, so then it was sort of like, okay, well I need to, if he is the protagonist and we're kind of following him in a sense, and it, he was sort of useful to follow cause he's sort of, um, on the ground, he's a first responder. So he's seeing a lot of what's going on in New York city. Um, so I had to like write more material, um, for Elliot <laughs> than I had originally imagined. The other thing I like about the process you're describing, although it is, although I don't necessarily recommend parts of, like I recommend a really particular editing process to people, but when in the drafting process, I really love to recommend the kind of thing you were doing, which is you've got an idea, but why don't you write some stuff and try it out? I find people are very mm. resistant to that idea in some, for some bizarre reason that I've never understood. Was something I always admired about your approach is that you will just do a bunch of, you'll have like, two ideas and you'll write both those ideas out to see if they are any good. It's such a weird thing that writers don't do that more often to me. I'll have writers come to me and say, you know, I just don't know if this person should, you know, uh, when they get proposed to, I don't know if they should accept the proposal or not. And I'm stuck. Yeah. And I, I, I'm always like shocked by this because to me, like, well, write one version where they accept it and write another where they don't and then see which one you like better. <laughs> well, but I like I like that people get this idea in their head, you know, that it has to be. Yeah. I have to write in a certain way because that's what writers do. Yeah. I, you well, know, I, I don't possibly, know. I'm not a writer. Yeah, I mean, I might be just holding to another, another kind of thing that writers say to themselves, which is like, you know, I'm not a writer if I'm not writing. So I think sometimes when I'm taking time, like there's moments probably where I should maybe take take more time to, to, to plan. <laughs> this is my current obsession to plan <laughs> or to decide or like make a decision, um, versus just, just like sort of continuing to write. Well, I'll just write that because that way at least I'm, I'm writing something, I, I think um, that's but I think exactly you can write your way to an answer, but it just, I do think it, it sometimes takes longer. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think, I think it, I subscribe to a belief that sort of both, I mean, I try to think and plan more than I, that I used to. And I really recommend certain types of thinking and planning, but I think mm -hmm. if you can only do one thing, you should just write like the mm -hmm. one, number one thing to me always is, you know, you gotta, yeah, just you, you're a writer. If you're writing at, what, what I always like admired about your approach and the way you have done things is you're, you're, you're that kind of, you're that same kind of workhorse <laughs> to use that kind of unflattering metaphor perhaps, but you know what I mean? Like it's that, uh, and so this just goes back a bit. Like I remember you always sort of being this way in a certain respect. Cause I, now I forget exactly where we met. Did we meet in Dennis Cooley's class or a different class around that time period? Oh, we met. Yeah, no, we met in Dennis Cooley's class. Yeah, that's class. what I thought. So that was in yeah. 2005, that's, I think it was? Um, No, that was in 2004, I Four. think. Okay, or so that makes sense. Maybe Four, even it be, more or even maybe even three. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be three, four, or five because it was during my master's degree. Uh, so I can't remember which one it was, but in there. And yeah. um, I think you, and you were also doing your, your master's at the time, cause, right? Cause, yeah. Cause, cause but that the, was the only class we had together. I think so. Uh, and, no, definitely. And, yeah. And then, <laughs> okay, there you go. And then um, what you were writing at that time, f f I remember in the class, you know, seeing a number of your short stories um, mm -hmm. and some of which uh, made it into your first book. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, your master's thesis had a story. Was your master's thesis just the white dress story or was it a couple of different stories, including that one? I'm trying to remember. It was just the white dress, and then, okay. you know, we had to write, like, the critical essay. Yes, yeah, so it was a To, like, accompany it. That was yeah. in, ended up in your um, first book, mm -hmm. uh, Mother Superior. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about what you were doing at that time? Uh, so your sort of how you kind of came to be in that particular program and pursuing this, you know, thesis and writing this, you know, story and so on. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think, you know... 
having, you know, kind of met you then and like following, you know, and seeing like how, kind of your career sense, I think it's, it's a kind of a, to a lot of people, I think you kind of like came out of nowhere and won the journey prize. And then all of a sudden you've got a novel out. It's on Canada reads. Now you got this new book out. I don't think people like see like the kind of 15 year path of that, which, you know, <laughs> previously before that, you know, you're doing even before that, of course, you're at when I met you, you were a very polished writer in many respects. And it clearly been doing it for a long time at that point. Um, and so I'm curious to just sort of know a bit about your, your quote unquote, you know, early days before I met you, like what you were doing, where your head was at and why you were kind mm. of pursuing this degree and focusing on right. writing in this way uh yeah um how, how, from your point of view on like how things have been going yeah well so I mean I was doing my undergrad at Carleton when I did like they had there was one creative writing class at Carleton like creative writing workshop um and like I think like on offer you know in the whole university and I I applied for that workshop. I heard about the workshop maybe my second year and I applied and I didn't get in. And then I applied the next year with a different, there was a different instructor um, and did get in. And during that sort of half year course was sort of when I found out that there were such things as creative writing programs and that there were such things as literary journals and that there were such things as the Canada Council and grant programs <laughs> Um, and I just learned a tremendous amount, um, in that class, um, which is with this professor, Rick Taylor. Um, and so from then on, I was like, oh, okay, there are creative writing programs. There are <clears throat> all of these things. You know, I went to the Canada council website and, you know, found out, okay, if you had, if you have four short stories published in literary journals, then you're eligible for a grant, um, like I just did not really, like this was sort of my first, um, I guess exposure to finding out, you know, quote unquote, how to become a writer. You know, I just didn't know how one, how one did it. Like I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was a kid, but I just didn't really know how to do it. And I, I couldn't really. Did you know, get, you didn't know anyone who was a writer then? No, I like, never yeah. met a writer. Yeah. And I was sort of like, you know, I was. I was sort of obsessed with Lucy Mon Montgomery and like, I just didn't know, I just didn't know anything about current writers or, or how one became one. And I was just constantly frustrated with myself, with my inability to like finish anything. Like I had so many stories that I was writing. Like I was always trying to write a book, <laughs> like, you know, all through like elementary school like in grade six, I felt like I, you know, I was finally had like 60 pages, but then I just like couldn't finish it. Like I just didn't know how I would lose interest or I don't know. I didn't have any self-discipline, which seems ridiculous well, okay. to say now, but it is, I didn't even, it's an odd thing to yeah. say now. Right. Because, yeah. uh, when, if you kind of look back at all the thing you're saying, it, it sounds yeah. like you had a lot of self-discipline, but you just didn't know how to finish a, st a story, which is a skill. Yeah. But yeah. I, 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 I was in the same boat as you in many respects, you know, and, and when I look back at myself now, I think, well, there's a guy who was always like doing all this work, but just didn't know how, like, didn't know yeah. there was a career here. Yeah. And didn't know how, like, how to, well, of course, I, yeah, I remember being frustrated with myself. I couldn't finish a novel. Uh, and, but why would I know how to finish a novel? Yeah. Well, I think that's where, you know you can kind of see that, see the difference sometimes in, in, in kids whose parents are already like working in the field that they want to work in or in a related field or, or who know anything about, you know, that artistic field, you know, they're able to sort of, you know, tell their kids, oh, well, you know, you could try to do like, instead of trying to write a whole series of books, why don't you just try to write a story or like do that? Or like, you know, there's, there's ways that I think that, um, talent can be directed and, and nurtured. Um, but, but anyways, you know, you don't, you don't need to write a, a book in, in grade six. Um, or I think you do. Or, 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you think, you, or at least maybe people like you and I do, we have this personality trait where we think, well, if yeah. I'm not doing X, then that means I'm not Y. Uh, you know, it's yeah. interesting here you talk about like, well, I went to Canada Council and I figure out you have to figure out, you know, you have to publish four store stories and all that stuff. I mean, I forget if that's the rule now, but I remember yeah. doing the exact same thing. Like I learned there was a granting agency. I called the granting agency up yeah. and I was like, what do I need to do to be eligible for this grant? <laughs> because, yeah. but a lot of people don't do that stuff. And when I look back, like, I was trying to do the math of it, you know what I mean? Like, in my mm. head, the algebra, not in terms of, like, how am I going to make all this money, but just in terms of, like, what are the things that will make me a writer? Um, yeah. Well, the county council would consider me a writer if this. I, I, I looked into, yeah. like, the tax codes. What does, <laughs> how does a writer fall taxes? Oh. Um, what would the government <clears throat> consider to me to, you know, for me to be a writer? You know, and and, and so on and so forth. It's a it's a weird, it's, but but it is, I I mean I grew up in a small town of like a hundred people where mm-hmm. as, as, you know not only did I not know anybody who ever who was a writer I didn't know anyone who ever met a writer you know like um, it just was a f- another world that I read about yeah but all the stuff you're reading is like it doesn't get into the details of being a writer. <laughs> Even if you're reading about a guy who's a writer, he's you know battling a werewolf, right? He's not doing his taxes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just yeah. it's anyway. Uh, so well, I think so it you, speaks to like the value of you know having you know having writers you know visit visit high schools, visit you know visit classrooms, so that you know young people can can interact with a real writer because I think it just demystifies it. I think. What do you um, think drove you to keep following that path though? Because so you say like, you know, you, you get on this creative writing course and then you learn all these things. You're talking about it in some respects as if that's a pivotal moment in your life, which I'm sh- which I'm sure it was. But to me, there's an invisible moment before that uh, where, you know, you applied in the creative writing course, they rejected you, but then you applied again the next year. A lot right. of people don't do that. Okay, like their journey yeah. ends when. They get <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. What do you th- well, so what the pivotal moment for me was really like as a child. Like it was really like this is my calling. I'm going to be a writer. Like, like that was that was it. Do you, you know? remember a reason for that? Because this is uh, forgive me. You know, if you get asked this question a hundred times, people do like to ask this question. Like what made you want to become a writer or what have you. Do you remember a moment or a reason for that? Because I don't. Like, I just remember mm. that's what I was doing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I have, like, I do feel like, okay, that's just what I was doing. Like, I was always making up stories. Like, that would be how I would put myself to sleep at night. Um, like, from as early as I could could remember. Um but like I do remember like being in grade one, like this is the 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 image that always comes to mind when I think about this. In grade one, we, you know, we had these like booklets, um, these little exercise booklets that were sort of the top of the page. I don't know if you, you had this in school. The top of the page was blank and the bottom yeah. of the page was lined. And you would sort of use these to kind of make little books and you would write some sentences mm-hmm. and then you would illustrate like the story that you were writing. Or at least this is what we were doing in my class. And I remember just being like really frustrated with having to draw the pictures and just being like, I shouldn't have to do this. Like I'm the writer. Like this is the part that Someone I'm interested in. Don't make, don't, don't make me, <laughs> You're a comic artist. don't, don't You're waste a comic my time writer. with, you know, these yeah. pictures that I can't, that I like, cause I, I, I was always so frustrated as a child by my inability to draw what I could see in my head. Like it was just so frustrating and, and so embarrassing. I found, you know, like, mm. I would try to draw something and it would just be like a scribble. And I'm like, this is supposed to be this amazing, you know, whatever. And, but I could see that it looked like garbage. It's so um, funny you say that. I remember those exact same things. And I, I remember a yeah. similar thing, but what my, so I couldn't draw anything either. So I would draw these weird, you know, scribbles and odd forms. So, and what I would do at the bottom is I would just say, this is the demon, whatever. And I would make up a name <laughs> because so I couldn't smart. draw anything. I would yeah. just, you know, but I went to a Christian school, so a grade school. So they would uh, okay. get f- so frustrated and annoyed <laughs> with me because I'm like, every entry was like, this is the demon, whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's <laughs> so unbrand for you, Jonathan. That's so, 
So eventually they just, I didn't have to do it anymore. <laughs> I was just looking at um, this book. This It's a great book by, I don't know if you know the, the comic artist Elise Gravel. No. Anyway, it's this book that's supposed to be like her drawing journal and, and it's sort of made to look like a journal. It says, if, found, if you find this book, please return to Elise Gravel. Something like that. That's the title. But inside is just like all of these kind of funny things that she likes to draw. And a lot of them are just like, you know, weird monster creatures. Oh, yes, I do. I do. I did read that book. I do know exactly yeah. what I'm Yeah. Anyway, it was just, it was like really enjoyable and, and a, a pretty, I think, fun book for kids to just be like, just fun to draw. It doesn't have to, you know, look like a real animal. It could be a demon or a, or a strange monster. Now, when you moved and you went to the U of M and, you know, you started getting that writing class and we're doing this, you know, degree and everything at that point where you, you seemed very on the path. Like that's what I, we, me and Gregory Kamichik, who you also met in that class, you know, and, and mm-hmm. me and him are doing a comic together and stuff. But we talked about you. We always use you as an example when we're talking to people of like, <laughs> you know, that, you know, Slim is the one that we, you know, met and we were like, you know, she's the one who's going to make it. <laughs> just <laughs> so because, funny. you know, she, she just has it like, she's just one of those people who, you know, um, like isn't going to accept something else happening. Well, <laughs> you know? I felt that way about you guys also. I feel like there are a lot of very I feel like we have a talented writers in that group in that way. But but yeah. you seem like the one who is the most well formed uh, at that point, for sure, I think. Oh, well, that's, that's kind of you. I, so I, so I joined that. Well, it's not just kind of reason. me. My, my question is like, why, how the hell did you manage to do that? Because I, people keep asking me how to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, so the reason I was in that, that class, the reason I was in that degree was because like, so I didn't know about creative writing programs until I was in my third year of university doing, uh, you know, another kind of program, which I was just sort of taking because like my whole like MO, like, you know, so when I, you know, when I was graduating high school and they, you, you get to fill out a little thing about your plans for the future, um, that they read as you like cross the stage to take your diploma. Um, and you know, I'd written on mine, you know, I'm going to go take this you know, this Bachelor of Humanities at Carleton, and I'm going to become one with the universe because I was training to be a yoga teacher then. And I'm going to write the great Canadian novel. Like this was what I like declared at my high school graduation. Um, so I was very determined to do it, even though I had no idea how to do it. And then, you know, did this whole other degree. And then during that degree, I was like constantly, again, frustrated with myself because I'm like, I'm not, do- I wasn't doing any creative writing because you don't really have time um, when you're, when you're taking full-time, you know, academic studies. And then, you know, did that, you know, one, one class after I got rejected the first time, like really concentrated on trying to write some better pieces for the portfolio. Cause I just didn't really have anything that was, um, you know, recent. And then, and then after that, you know, after I graduated, I moved to Winnipeg to, and I like worked in a video store because I was like, well, all I want to be as a writer, I kind of really felt I was very not practical about it. <laughs> like rather than thinking like what career path would go well with writer. Like I did to a degree, I would like trained as a yoga instructor. I was like, Oh, yoga instructor, writer, like those go together really well. Um, but I just like, couldn't handle sort of some of the flakiness to do with, um, <laughs> some of the yoga, <laughs> the yoga practice, um, that I was doing. Um, so I was really like, you know, this is how I, you know, dedicate myself to be- becoming a writer. It's like, I have to just take a crappy job like that. Maybe that is just something in the air about this romantic idea of being a writer. And I didn't, you know, want to be super poor and, you know, apply for, <laughs> for loan relief on my student loans because I made so little money and they were like, okay, yeah, you don't have to pay them yet. Um, but I just didn't know how else to go about it. Like I wish, like in some ways I wish someone had told me, oh no, you, you know what, you can go do a law degree and you know, become like a research lawyer or something <laughs> or like you can, you can perhaps pursue, um, some kind of work that will, 
that is related or adjacent, you know, but I just didn't believe that at the time. But then after a year of trying to like work at the video store and not really make any progress, like I'd written a few short stories, I guess. Um, but just not very much, like I had not really moved the needle very far on like writing a novel or something. So then I was like, I need some external deadline. And then found out there was this MA with a, a like a creative thesis option. So I was like, I'm going to apply to that. And hopefully that will force me to, to write a novel. Well, it, uh, more or less did. I mean, it didn't quite get you to the novel, but it got you quite a ways to the, um, uh, first book, uh, you know, the short story collection. And I mean, I think, uh, what I like about, um, your approach and kind of, it's very much just that classic approach of, you know, you just keep doing things and not quitting. And I think what distinguishes so many people, uh, who want to be writers some people, you know, actually, you know, do it in whatever form, mm -hmm. you know, they manage to do it in, uh, is just that like how they handle that, um, that th those, those gaps when nothing's happening or mm -hmm. all that's happening is people telling, you, no, you know, you apply yeah. to a creative writing class and they say, no, we don't want you in this yeah. class. Yeah. Uh, and then instead of, you know, getting this or that or the other thing you sit you know maybe you get angry or something at first but like uh, then you know you sit and you do the math of like okay well if this thing's not good enough then uh, i need to a better thing right or you yeah. know if can a council you know has money and to get that money i need to do to publish four stories then I better start with writing four stories. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, exactly. yeah. And send them to, you know, four places and so on. Like there's a certain amount of, um, just tenacity that I think, uh, is in many ways more important than the talent that a person is, you know, just, or the, their natural facility for the thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, and if you can kind of marry that tenacity to some sort of national facility or talent, then I think it really um, it, it, it it's hard for people to who, who are looking down on their own stuff to see that what's fundamentally going to matter more than how good a writer they are right now is mm -hmm. whether or not they keep trying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and if they just aren't getting through this path, maybe they should try this other path. I, I, I sometimes give an example um, that I had with this short story where I'd written this short story. Uh, well, that, well, that short story that um, you read, it's called Costa Rica Green um, in the new book, the Costa Rica mm -hmm. one. So I'd written yeah. that story and it has a, a couple, it's, it's a pretty normal story for me, but it has a weird section where, you know, it's like almost this one page long dialogue section, right? Um, mm -hmm. For that reason and for a couple other small things in it, I could not get that story published anywhere I sent it to. Like I was sending it to place after place after place. I was living in, Ca in Calgary at the time doing my PhD. And I was mm. convinced this was a good story. Um, and I was sending it, you know, one place after the other and they were just rejecting it, rejecting it, rejecting it. I'd, and by this point, I had published a number of things. I didn't I'd never gotten this many rejections for a story that I thought was quite, what was perfectly publishable. Yeah. And I thought people, I actually thought when I, when I wrote it, I thought this story is, you know, more publishable <laughs> than most. Right. Of the, yeah. It's more mainstream than most of the things that I write. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't it get is. it published anywhere in Canada. And I just, and I started to like really, you know, wonder like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is no good and so on. But then I had this sort of moment where I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't be sending it around Canada. Oh, um, interesting. For some reason, I don't know. Maybe it's just something to do with the market in Canada right now. Uh, so I sent it to Australia. It was instantly published. And then it, it wow. was shortlisted for the, an award for the best short story by an oh author <laughs> in Canada. Okay. Uh, so I just had this moment of I was like, it's not them. It's just mm -hmm. I was thinking about things wrong. There was something happening that I didn't see. But I was in my track, you know, of thinking, well, if, you know, I got to send, I, I live in Canada, I better send it to somewhere in Canada. Like I just wasn't, I was in the wrong track and I didn't see it. 
you know? And so the tenacity helped, but I was, um, uh, anyway, the point of the story is just to say, like, I think it's, it's hard for people to get out of like the trap of their thinking. And so one thing I always appreciated with, um, you is like, you'll be like texting me, like, Oh, I'm so frustrated by this stupid editing process. And, you know, this novel's driving me crazy and everything, but yet you're still doing it. Uh, you know, like, and you're still like finding a solution, you know, this thing wasn't working. So you tried this other thing. Uh, I think it's, you know, uh, served you well. And I think, you know, you've, you've gotten a good book out of it here. So I hope, you know, people pick up the book. Uh, it's going to be out when you hear this podcast, uh, songs for the end of the world is out in, uh, print newly out today. It'll be out in print and audio, I believe, or today or just around today. It should have, you know, just come out in print and audiobook form um, and uh, has been out for a little while in ebook form as well. Um, mm-hmm. so thanks so much, Salima, for talking to me. And next time, let's get together and talk about potato chips. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Let's All do right, that. Great. And uh, no thanks love. for having me. Thank you. <laughs>